So in John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed, five roofed colonnades. It says, And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And in some versions it brings this out, and in mine it's listed more as a note, but basically what it says what would happen, it says some manuscripts say that, that they, the people that were there and they were waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain times, in certain seasons, into the pool and stirred the water. And it says that whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease that he had. So people would gather around this pool and they would just wait for the opportunity where, where God would st stir up the waters. And when the waters were stirred, whoever stepped in first would be healed. Pretty, pretty amazing thing that would take place. And so, so the blind, the lame, the paralyzed would gather around there. And it says that there was one man there who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. And he was lying there waiting for the waters to be stirred. We're going to come back to this, but let's flip to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we're going to see another story of a lady. Luke chapter 8, verse, well, we're going to be part of 42. None of this is on the screen today. It's going to have to be flipping with me. Jesus is, is about, and it says that as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. This is the last part of verse 42. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood, some kind of issue, some kind of sickness that she had had for, for it says, for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living, all her living, on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone for 12 years. We got a guy around the pool that's been waiting for 30 some years. This woman for 12 years spent everything that she had waiting and trying trying to be healed. We have another guy in Luke chapter 8 if you back up in verse 25 talks about Jesus sails to this country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. It says when Jesus had stepped out on the land there met him a man from the city who had demons. In fact, later on we see legions, which means just tons of demons. It says, for a long time, we don't know how long, but for a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not, tormented, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Of course, he's, these are the demons that are speaking. And it says, for, for many a time it had seized him, and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. 
It says, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And we'll come back to that story. But here's a man who's bound and chained and, and just stirred up by all these demons to the point that he's, he's just naked. He's gashing himself. People kept their distance from him. A guy that would just seem like there was just no hope. What's going on with this guy? Why can't he get any help? So the, this guy sitting for 38 years, a woman for, for 12 years with this issue of blood, this, this demoniac who we have no amount of time, no idea, it says for a long time that he was in this situation. And I was thinking about another story as well about, of course, a guy named David, King David. If you've been reading through the Bible in a year, you probably have been around this particular part in 1 Kings and Samuel, thank you, in 1 Samuel. And basically, Saul was the king at the time, the very first king of Israel, and Saul was disobedient to God, and God said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, we're going to reject Saul, we're going to choose another king, one that has, a, has my heart and a passion for me. And so David is chosen and David is anointed as the king of Israel. During those days, they would literally take a, uh, like a ram's horn or a, a goat's horn and they would fill it with oil. And it would be dumped on the top of, that was the anointing process of the person that was to be king. And so David was anointed as king. But what's interesting is that while he's king, Saul is still king, even though David's just been anointed. And this wasn't this kind of thing that was happening automatically. And so, for years, David is waiting to be king. And he's waiting under this circumstance as well where Saul is out to get David. Literally trying to kill him. There was a couple of opportunities that Saul had thrown a spear at David, because David actually was a servant of his for a period of time. Tries to kill David, and David is literally on the run. For a number, a number of years, a good period of time. The reason I bring up these issues is because there, there are things that, that we pray about. There are things that we, we worry about. There are, there are needs that we have. There are different aspects of life that we face that we wonder, God, when are you going to, to help me with this? When are you going to, to deal with this scenario? When are you going to deal with this situation? And we have this, this rub that comes up where we have an opportunity to either trust God or this desire to kind of take things into our own hands. This desire to, to try to control things ourselves. This desire to try to make things happen. In fact, when Saul got in trouble, the reason that Saul got in trouble was he was, he was getting ready to go into battle. And he was waiting for Samuel to come. Samuel was the priest of God at the time, and Samuel was supposed to come, and he was supposed to, to have an offering. You know, it's like, all right, uh, we need to start, but I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and, and Samuel was just taking forever to get there. It's kind of like, well, we can't start the service until we pray, right? Why do we want to pray? We want God's blessing in what we're doing on a Sunday morning. We want God to be in charge. We want God to be in control. We don't start a service without, you see us scoot off to the side and pray, right? But what if we just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for Justin. I've been waiting for Justin to come, and we just prayed without him, which we actually did today. Just went in there, and we prayed, you know, and, 
But David or uh, Saul was waiting for Samuel to show up, and he just was taking so long. He saw other people leaving that were supposed to go into battle with him, kind of getting fidgety. You know, he's trying to kind of corral and keep everybody together. I guess the Israelites are kind of like herding cats at the time. Who knows? But they were getting ready to go into battle. And so Saul went ahead and just said, you know what, I'm going to do this on my own without the priest. And went ahead and just sacrificed all these animals. Ends up going into battle. Comes back and doesn't do everything that God tells him to do, essentially. But there's this aspect where we've been waiting. God, when, when are you going to, to answer us? When are you going to step in? This, this issue of trust versus control. Are we going to trust the Lord or are we going to try to take things into our own hands? And when we take things into our own hands like Saul did, it's, 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 it leads to trouble. Trying to do things ourselves, trying to, to do things our own way. Because we have this issue with timing, right? Especially in America, we want things right now. We want things yesterday. You know, one of the, the greatest selling points of Amazon, I was thinking about it, we can get things shipped within two days. It's here, you know. It's the invention of microwave cooking, okay. In seconds, you can have what, you know, normally would take place, you know, over a good period of time. Of course, you can tell the difference, can't you, between when you rush something in the microwave or you spend time cooking a really good meal. But there's this issue of trust versus control. God's timing is very difficult to accept sometimes. It's very difficult to, to hold on to. It's very difficult to, to trust Him. But He is the one that's in control. I want us to look at a couple of passages that talk about God's timing, that talk about waiting. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Get your flipping today or your punching on your phone if you're using that. Galatians 6, 9. If you're getting that little section of Scripture, if you're flipping, think General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. One of uh, folks' kids came in uh, a couple of weeks ago and they're saying, God eats potato chips, which I don't think he does, but, you know, that'll help you remember it because it's just such a weird phrase, okay? So we are in Galatians 6, 9. Great passage of Scripture, and, and this, is, this is what it says. It says, and let us... Not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. Does it ever get irritating? You know, you're, doing, you're trying to do the right thing. It gets weary. It gets, it gets old after a while. Or, you know, you're, you're, you know, everyone else is just flying down the interstate and you're trying to do the speed limit, Right? Everyone else has done this, but you're, you know, you're trying to stay in the, the straight and the narrow. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so many people just give up too soon. I was listening to a, a baseball game yesterday. I'm a Cubs fan. I think some of you know that. And yesterday the Cubs played the Atlanta Braves. The previous day Atlanta beat them which is embarrassing because I'm thinking Atlanta versus the Cubs, huge difference. And then they played yesterday. And about the fourth inning is when I turned it on to listen to it while I was working on my sermon. 
continuing to put some things together. And so I'm listening, and the score is, guess what, Atlanta 10 and Chicago 2. It was very tempting since I wasn't even watching it, just listening, to just turn it off. But I kept it on. Working away, listening. The next thing you know, there's a run here. There's a run there. Well, that's not enough that's going to catch up to 10. It would have been easy to just turn it off and walk away. I guarantee you all kinds of fans in the stadium in Chicago got up and left, thinking, well, this is just not my day to have come to a baseball game. Much less, it was also freezing. It was ridiculously cold. So there was like no reason to stay if you're a Chicago fan. It was cold. It's freezing. We're losing 10 to 2. We got out to about 10 to 4. Nothing's happening. But as, we're, as I waited and I waited and I was just working away, it gets to the eighth inning, and you think this thing's, you know, it's just about over. But I hung in there, and next thing you know, here's a score. Here's a score. The bases are loaded. Next thing you know, it's tied 10 to 10. The bases are still loaded. The pitcher's going, and I actually walked people home. Ended up the Cubs won 14 to 10. They, <laughs> many people would walk away. I know it's just a baseball game, okay? But sometimes you get weary. Sometimes you get weary of the timing. Sometimes you just want to give up on God. You want to do things your own way. This is issue of trust, trusting Him versus control. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. How many of you sometimes feel like you just want to give up? You deal with that frustration. You deal with the... It just doesn't seem like things are changing, and they're not changing fast enough. God has called us, and you see this in Revelation a lot, to be what? To be overcomers. We are not those who give up. We are not those that are without hope. We need to trust Him versus trying to control things ourselves. Another great passage, and you can probably quote it, but let's turn back. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6 says this, what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. How many times are we half-hearted, you know? We can point that out in, in different, you know, go back to the baseball thing. Well, you're not a real fan. You got up in the middle of the game and left. Where's your heart? Where's your passion, you know? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, with everything, all that you have, and don't lean on your own understanding. We think we understand better than God sometimes. We think we've got it figured out. Or, or God did it this way for this person, but not me. Why, what's the deal? What's the difference? You know, why, why, what's, what's going on here? I, this is my understanding of how it should have worked, of when it should have happened, when it should have taken place. But it says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And he will make straight your paths. In all your ways, 
acknowledge Him. So this aspect of trust versus control, we have to trust the Lord and not try to control things ourselves. Let's look at a passage particular to, to timing. And this is a, a book that you probably never turn to. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 25 through 26. Lamentations comes right after Jeremiah. If you're flipping and not punching buttons. Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 25 through 26. This is what it says. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I wonder what it is that you've been praying for, for days, for weeks, for months, for years. And you wonder God's timing. But you look through the Old Testament, and, and things don't come as fast as, you, as we think that they should. I think about Moses, even. He didn't even get started in his ministry until he was what we would consider retirement age, you know? And, you know, and now he's going and, and leading an entire nation of millions of people through a desert who are whiny and cranky and disobedient and hateful, and let's just go back to Egypt. You know, and being Moses, you would you'd be easy for you to be cranky right on back, right? And so it says this, it is, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. <clears throat> it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of God. Again, this aspect of trust versus control. To wait on the Lord is to what? Is to trust in God. It's to trust in Him. It's to think long-term, too, rather than short-term. When you trust the Lord, it's not on your own boundaries, is it? If you're going to trust someone, you trust someone. You place it into His hands for the long-term. That's difficult to do, but that's what we see in Scripture because here's the, here's the other side of, of God's timing. So we, we've got a guy who, he's, he's at this pool. He's been sitting there for 30-some for years. Let's turn back to these passages. Turn back to John chapter 5. I'm giving you your opportunities to flip today. So in John chapter 5, we'll go and we'll pick it back up. Let's look at verse 3 just to get the context again. So he's in this, around this area of five colonnades, in this area where this pool, where the angel would come down and stir up the waters from time to time. It says, And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And one man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. It says, And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, and it almost seems comical, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, he said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down 
before me. Can you imagine that? You know, this guy's been there 38 years waiting and waiting for his opportunity, right? I could see myself getting just incensed. Finally, I've been waiting all this time. And it didn't happen that often, apparently, right? But the water stirred up and someone else, what do you know, jumps in, does a cannonball right in front of me. They had their legs and their arms and maybe they were blind, right? And then they're healed. And I'm sitting back down and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. Next year comes along, the waters are stirred again. Wasn't paying attention, I was taking a nap. Someone else jumps in in front of me. Well, they're healed again, and I'm not. This guy's been there for 38 years waiting. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. It says, now that day was a Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, hey, it's a Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. What are you doing walking around? You're, isn't that the, the, the way of sometimes of religious people, you know? This guy is healed, and they're ticked off, and he's walking around with his bed. Did, did you not just see what happened? You realize, I've been sitting here for 38 years. Yeah, but you're carrying around your bed. Adventures in missing the point. They asked him, who's the man, this is verse 12, who said, do you take up your bed and walk? He says, now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So this man is healed after, after 38 years. Let's look at Luke chapter 8, and we'll hang in Luke for a little bit. There's a couple of stories in that same passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? Luke verse 8. Excuse me, Luke chapter 8. And we're going to look at this lady here again. This woman who had spent everything that she had. People were pressed around Jesus. Verse 43 of chapter 8 says, There was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent all she, all she had, uh, all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. But then she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, it says, her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus says, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, <laughs> I love Peter. Peter's like, you know, probably one of the guys that like smacks his forehead and says, Master, the crowds are, are surround you and are pressing in on you. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You're getting crushed by people. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Well, let's look back a little bit for, for the demoniac. In Luke chapter 8, 
you find the beginning of that story in verse 25. But we're going to go down to verse 32. So we've got this guy who's overwhelmed with demons. He's been cutting himself, he's, he's naked, he's chained, and he had even pulled the chains away. This guy's hidden away in, the Bible says, in a couple passages, in, in different accounts, in a graveyard. Living in a graveyard, chained, you know, just out of his mind. If you ever think that there's someone that has completely no hope, right? Can you, I mean, can you think of any hopeless situations? I'm sure you can. You think, well, there's, you know, okay, maybe God can do it for this person, but this person, I just don't see that happening. We're in this situation. We, we kind of don't even make levels of different things. God could do this, but not that. That's impossible. Here's a guy that had been left alone for who knows how long. And so it says in verse 32, we get to this point, it says that there was a large herd of pigs that was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. It says, Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Talk about some great material for a movie, you know? Chris, incredible. It says, When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and it says, The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And I love that sentence says, and they were afraid. Here's a guy who's just been crazy. Cutting himself, naked, pulling chains, living in the graveyard. All of a sudden, there he's sitting in his right mind. Cup of tea? That's an exaggeration, but a completely different person because of Jesus. After who knows how many years. And Jesus, basically, the rest of the story, he goes to leave, and, and this man wants to stay with him. But Jesus says, go and tell everyone what God has done for you. It says in this passage, that in particular, that he went and told everyone in town. Another account, it says he went to the Decapolis, which was a collection of like 10 cities, and just went out telling everyone what Jesus had done for him. It's incredible. The situation we find with David is interesting as well, because David had... David literally is anointed by God to be king, and he finds himself being chased by Saul. And, and David's respect for God and God's timing is really unique. It's really special. Here's an, here's an opportunity. That, there's a couple of opportunities the Bible talks about where David could have taken things into his own hands. David is on the run from Saul. Because Saul, even though he knows God has chosen David as king, I guess Saul wants to do something about it. No, I'm king. If anyone was anyone that was wrapped up in himself, it was Saul. Saul is chasing down, hunting David. David is going around with about, I think, 600 men approximately. They call him David's mighty men. 
He's living in caves. He's on the run. And, and this opportunity arises at night where David and his men are hidden in a cave. And guess who happens to wander in that cave to relieve himself? <laughs> is King Saul. And of course, David's men are saying to David, here's your opportunity. And what a story that would be, right? Here's your opportunity. You can go and just kill him right now. But David has this tremendous respect for God and for what God's plan is. And he says, how could I, how could I kill the Lord's anointed? Because God is the one that made Saul king. In other words, he says, the Lord's the one who's in charge of this. I trust in him, and I trust in his timing. And what the story states in 1 Samuel is that he goes up to the king and, and actually cuts off a corner of his robe without him even knowing it. And then later goes and, and tries to convince Saul, look, I, I'm not trying to hurt you. But the chase still goes on. And another opportunity comes up where, again, David sees Saul and his company. They're out trying to hunt him down in, asleep in this area, in this, this valley. Sure enough, there's King Saul lying asleep with his own spear kind of shoved in the ground right next to him. And so David and, and one of his men are, are sneak down to this, to this area <coughs> And his man, the, David's, one of his soldiers says to David, let me just go ahead and take Saul's own spear and just shove it through him and pin him to the ground right here. This will be done. And their perspective was, God's delivered him into your hands. But David's mentality is, again, still the same. I, I am trusting in the Lord and in His timing. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. When we take things in our own hands, we screw things up. We try to do things our way, we mess things up. So David took Saul's spear in his water jug and, and again said, hey. But Saul, of course, his, his, mentality, his mentality was to come after David. But later on, as we, we see the story, God does institute David as king in his own timing. This aspect, again, of trust versus control. Will we trust God or will we take things into our own hands? I want us to look at a final passage of Scripture this morning that, that's in Luke as well. Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to begin verse 22. Jesus is teaching his disciples. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. It says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. You ever stress out about what you're going to wear? <laughs> what will I wear? 
Nobody? Come on, let's stop and take this in. Yeah, all right. Okay, good. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. He says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God's feed them. The ravens don't even work, right? They're not plowing in the ground. They're not sowing. They're not reaping. They're not punching a clock. They don't even work, and God takes care of them. He says, of how much more value are you than the birds? How much more valuable are you than birds? It's not a difficult question, but sometimes we really lower our value, don't we? We don't see ourselves the way that God does. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? I love that passage. Can you add any hours to your life by being stressed, <clears throat> by being worried, by taking things into your own hands? Can you add an hour, just a single hour? And Jesus said, if you can't even do something as small as that, why are you worried about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. That spin is, is like, it's another word for weaving. Toil, again, is in my mind, when I've read this passage so many times, I think about like flowers spinning around or something. That's not what he's talking about. Flowers don't work. Again, they don't toil. They don't work. They don't weave. They don't do anything, right? Except look pretty. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? That's where it boils down to, isn't it? The size of our faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. They seek after all this stuff. We've got this example of not worrying, can't add an hour to our life, consider the ravens, consider the lilies. So what does he say instead? What are you supposed to do? If I can't worry, if I can't stress out about things, if I can't take things into my own hands, what, what do I do? Instead, verse 31, look at what it says. It's very simple. Instead, seek His kingdom. Seek His kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. We worry about so much. We, we take things in our own hands. But it's really simple what God calls us to do. He calls us to seek His kingdom. That that is our focus, that that is our task, is to seek His kingdom. Are we, are we worried about something at work? I mean, yeah, things is gonna, we're going to have to deal with work, we're going to have to go through that, but how do we deal with this? 
It's not by how we think, by taking it into our hands, and it's going to, you know, it's seek his kingdom. I've got this situation with this relationship. What do, I, what do I do about this? It doesn't seem like it can be fixed. I don't know how to, how to handle this or how it's ever going to be better. What do we do? The answer is in seeking his kingdom. Every worry, every stress, every fear, all those things boil down to seeking his kingdom. When things in our life are about God, when things in our life are about Him, He's the one that causes all things to come together. What does it mean to, to seek His kingdom? Well, first of all, I mean, if we're not seeking His kingdom, we're seeking something else. We're seeking our way, we're seeking our kingdom, if you will, right? It's about us, it's about this worry, this stress, this fear, it's about you know, a, a numerous amount of things that can be placed into that blank. That's what we're seeking. We're seeking an answer to this. We're seeking, we're seeking money. We're seeking more stuff. We're seeking, an, you know, uh, prideful things. You know, I don't know. There's so many different things we could be seeking. But if our focus is on God, if we seek His kingdom, that's being on the trust side versus the control side, isn't it? Trusting Him, seeking His kingdom. Seeking His kingdom is to, is to go after God, right? Seeking His kingdom is, is to pray. That's the ultimate act of trust. When you, when you pray, what do you see? You don't see anything with your eyes, do you? You know... You're talking to God, and yet it's not like we see right then and there in that moment a resolve, or we see God Himself. I think we sense and understand His presence. But when we pray, it's a huge act of faith, isn't it? We are praying and we're giving something over to God whom we don't see. It's a trust that He hears us, a trust that He's doing something about it or will do something about it in His timing that we've been talking about. Seeking His kingdom is to go after Him. It's, it's to pray. It's obviously it's to, to read the Word of God. It's to be a part of, of building God's kingdom. <clears throat> King, people that are, if we are a part of God's kingdom, then we are His servants, right? We serve our King. We're a part of the kingdom. We're a part of serving the King. We're a part of building the kingdom as well, aren't we? The opportunities that are before us are about Him and, and not about us. So you've got to keep your eyes open, don't you? Because our anxiety can pull us away from those opportunities. Our anxiety, rather than trust, can cause us to say different things than what needs to truly be said. It can pull us away from from holding on to burdens rather than giving burdens to Him. People that hold to a kingdom also hold to the, to the principles and the culture of that kingdom. 
What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a part of His kingdom? Think about the Lord's Prayer where it says, Thy kingdom, what? Thy, right, His will, not ours, on earth as it is in, king, in, in heaven. In heaven with Him, it's perfect. Lord, can you bring that here now? Can I trust in you that you will handle it, that you will deal with it, that your timing is perfect, the way that you go about fixing this is in your hands. Trust versus control. Just stand with me this morning. As we, as we stand, I just want to give you a moment just to think about whatever it is. Everybody's got something. They have this desire to fix or to control themselves. Got some kind of worry, some kind of, some kind of issue, some kind of thing that, that you need God to fix, to handle. Something you're worried about, something you're stressed about. Something you don't know how this is going to, how something is going to be taken care of or resolved. We are not people that have no hope. We serve the Creator who made everything. So, whatever that is this morning, let's bow our heads for a moment. Just, uh, I just want you to, to visualize whatever that issue is. I just, let God take that today. And just simply trust God with that. Because we're not doing well with it. <laughs> we're, we're, there are things we are not meant to handle, but He is. We cannot control everything. Nor should we. Lord Jesus, this morning we relieved that you're in control. We're relieved that you care about us, that you love us. And Lord, I'm thankful that you say not to worry, but to give you our worries. So you say in Philippians, Lord, that to not be anxious about everything, anything, but to, to pray about it, to give it to you. And as you will give us peace, and that in you we can trust the outcome. We can trust the timing. Lord, today I, I just lift up all of us to you and, and pray, Lord, that you would take our burdens, take our anxiety, take our fears, and Lord, that you would give us peace. Lord, a peace that you say passes understanding. In other words, everyone else in the world might say, how can you be so peaceful? It's because of you. Lord, we, we give you our burdens, we give you our fears, we give you our anxieties, we give you our ambitions, our hopes, our dreams, all these things, Lord, and, and ask, Lord, that you would just have your perfect will and way today. Lord, we, we love you, and we're so grateful for you. Thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity 
to, to stop and to come together and, and just, just worship you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.